0: This morning we are going to be talking about the promise believed. Amen. The text is Matthew 2, verses 1 through 16, and I have it laid out in the New King James for those of you who have the handout this morning. I apologize for my voice. It's a little raspy, but I trust that I can be heard. And uh, I'm getting a signal from the back of the room that tells me I forgot about the junior church. Well, I haven't officially. Uh-huh. Bye. Amen. <laughs> what, <he> <laughs> hey, what would I do if I didn't have so many looking out after me? I didn't have communion this morning, so we're not going to have communion at this service either. Somebody mentioned to me, Why, why did I uh, forget it? And I pointed to my wife and I said, It was grandma's fault. <laughs> Oh, well, next week. Pastor Bob is looking forward to communion next week. (laughs) Amen. Anyway, let's walk with me as I go through Psalm 1914, as I always do. I I have to seek the anointing of the Father, asking him to anoint my words to make sure that they correspond with his thoughts. So, dear Lord, this morning... Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen? Well, this morning, I intend to focus on the forgotten story of Christmas, the hard side of Christmas. A wise man once said, there are at least three versions of, to every story, my version, your version, And the truth. That's true of Christmas. Listen, there is a forgotten story that is necessary to hear to make Christmas complete. Part one and part two, previously delivered, is the story most of you are familiar with, most of which is given in every church in the world. But part three is going to leave you with an incomplete picture of Christmas unless you go back and pick up part one and two. You see, there is a beautiful side of Christmas. That's Luke's version. It's the love story that is set to music. And there are angels coming and going and singing and lighting up the sky. There is joy. There are the miracle of the stars that seem to move through the sky. And there are shepherds coming and a baby lying in a manger. In Luke's version, everyone is singing. Mary sings, my soul does magnify the Lord. Elizabeth is singing, and of course, angels are singing. That is the side of Christmas we love, we cherish, and we promote, and rightly so, for it is Christmas from God's perspective. The heart of God displayed toward us. But there is another side of Christmas, the dark side, the hard side. It is Matthew's version. In this version, there is hatred and betrayal, murder and weeping in the homes of Christmas. It's about cosmic war. There is pain in the hearts of many in this version of Christmas. In Matthew's version, the doors are locked shut and families are hiding in the basements. Mothers are holding their dead children in their arms, murdered by the order of the king because it was Christmas. In this version, Joseph awakens his wife and he says, we must leave now. Why? I am so tired and Jesus is so young. I know Mary. But it's Christmas, so we must leave our homes and go to Egypt. Why Egypt? There are soldiers chasing the Christ child to kill him, to stop Christmas from growing. This is also the Christmas story. We don't like this version, but it's important to understand what Christmas is all about. Have you ever asked yourself, Why Christmas is such a difficult time for many. For many, Christmas is the hardest time of the year, a time of conflict, grief, a burden to carry, something to endure. More depressions, suicides, this time of the year and next month than any other. More family fights, more loneliness and tears, more than any other holiday or season. For many, it is not a season to be jolly. You know, there are many natural reasons. First, loneliness. Christmas is a time of gathering, a time of fellowship. But there are those who are alone, some for the first time, and it's a difficult time. Second, failure. You know, at the end of the year, we are often confronted Figure out the source of that. With an evaluation of our life, and for many, the dominant thought is we have failed. And we are reminded of all the mistakes that we made that preceding year. Three, for some, it is financial. Wanting to do more, but can't. Fourth, for some, it is pressure. The enormous pressure to produce a magnificent Christmas. This year will be perfect as stress becomes great. Have you heard this one? Okay, everybody, quit fighting and yelling and smile for the Christmas picture. We're making Christmas memories here. Do you hear me? Why is Christmas so hard, so difficult, so exhausting and troubling for so many Well, we can point to the commercialization of Christmas, the enormous activities of Christmas as part of the reason that it is so hard. We can complain that Christmas is hard because it is so busy, but it's no busier than we want it to be or that we make it to be. Listen, there is a spiritual component, a spiritual source to our Christmas hardship. A dark side of Christmas that we must face in order to live in Christmas joy and power. Christmas is spiritual warfare. We want to believe that Christmas is the suspension of conflict and spiritual warfare. But the Bible declares that just the opposite is true. It is the beginning of God's final invasion into the dominion of darkness. Satan fought it then. Satan fights it today. We want the world to believe that Christmas is so innocent, tender, loving, and good that no one who understands it would fight it, resist it, but would embrace it. We sing silent night, holy night. All is calm. All is bright. The song has power when we as believers calm ourselves before God. But to hell and to those who want to stay in its power of darkness, evil and selfish power, it has the greatest threats. How else can you explain the ridiculous reactions to the Christmas story and message? For example, the million dollar lawsuits against displaying the Nativity scene on public property. How dangerous! is that poor couple and animals huddling together in a cold cave around a baby. One Illinois court held that nativity scenes are dangerous to the welfare of society. A sociologically damaging story, the case said. Is that rational? What danger poses a baby and poor shepherds and Persian astronomers to the intellect and well-being of such an educated and open society as ours. Not logical. Can that baby be any more dangerous than a big fat man who lands on the roof of your house and can magically squeeze down your chimney drinking milk and eating cookies while we sleep? And knows everything you do. And he's going to bring you things if you are good. What right is it for him to determine if we are good or bad? And what is bad to a progressive liberal? Isn't it against the law to capture and force into labor reindeer who are protected by law? And to force into year-round labor little people kept captive in the frozen tundra of the north? One magazine article stated, we must be careful of making Christmas too Christian. We must protect America from that. If they don't want to believe it, it's their free choice. But it is dangerous for them because they are right. It is not just a story but an invasion of the holiness of God into the world of darkness. Christmas is more than just a story of God's gift, of an enormous victory and the revelation of God in the flesh. It's the coming of the Deliverer, the coming of the truth himself to deliver us from the lies of hell and the breaking of the bondage of sin. To say, Jesus did not come just to save us from our sins, or to bring us to a personal relationship of love with him, but also to be Lord of our lives. Christmas is at the very center of spiritual warfare, and you and I are the battleground, the prize. Christmas says that there are those who want the Savior more than anything. They long God's presence and power and rule in their lives. And Christmas says that there are also those who do not want God in their lives, who would rather stay in darkness and selfishness of self-rule. Now let's consider King Herod, the story of the king who hated Christmas. There is a key character in the Christmas story who is almost always left out, but he explains the dark side of Christmas to us, Herod. Herod was a very powerful ruler of Israel who ruled at the time of the birth of Christ. And though he was only half-Jewish, he became king of Israel by special permission of Rome. He was a gifted politician and strategist. He learned how to get and keep power from his father. His father used used bribes, lies, deceit, false praise to gain power from Rome. Herod learned well. He used his influence to become governor of Galilee and then to be appointed king over Israel. He learned how to keep Rome and the Jews happy and to keep power. He married several times, not for love, but to increase his wealth and kingdom. And like anyone who gains position through power and deceit, he had to always protect himself from his enemies and his friends. And he became fearful of anyone who could return to him his wrath. And so he learned the fine art of murder. He would trick people, betray them, make a promise, and then kill them killed his own wife and several sons. Anyone that he felt might betray him was quickly murdered, and he spends an enormous amount of money and time to protect himself and to keep power. I must tell you, Herod was especially nervous during the time of the birth of Christ For the entire Roman Empire had heard the prophecies of the soon-coming Messiah, a Savior who would rule the world. And history records that there were predictions from the wise men of Greece, Persia, Rome, the Far East, and of course, in Israel. Prophecies that the birth of the Messiah, the God-King, was about to occur. The Magi the so-called three kings, who were priests and astronomers from Persia, which is modern-day Iran. They saw in the stars the sign of his coming and came to see and honor that king. And they made their way through a long and very dangerous journey to Jerusalem. They came to King Herod himself to ask directions for this new savior, the king, and to bring him gifts and to honor him. They obviously expected all Israel to be delighted and waiting and prepared for this was their Messiah. And the entire world needed him. Herod panics. What should he do? What would happen to his throne? What would happen to his power if this baby king grew up? Herod had to stop Christmas. He would kill the young child before his power could be established. Herod pretends to want to worship this Christ child. Bring me back news when you find him so I can come and worship him too. But God is at work. And he warns, warns the wise men not to go back to Herod. And when Herod discovers he has been betrayed, he is livid. Livid with anger. The betrayer betrayed, the fox outfoxed. Herod then kills all the babies within a five to six mile radius around Bethlehem. But God speaks to Joseph in a dream It's time to flee. Take Christmas with you and go to Egypt and hide there. Wake up, Mary. We must run. I know you're tired and the baby is weak, but we must run. They want to kill him. And Mary says sleepily, kill Jesus? Why would anybody want to kill him? He is love. And he is good. He's just a baby. We must show him to them. No, Mary. Not everyone loves Christmas. So they go in the cover of darkness into Egypt just as God said it would be. You know, historians say it was probably not many babies, perhaps as few as 60, and maybe as many as 100. Not much by the standards of the time. Life was cheap then. Today, you can see where they buried those children in Bethlehem in a cave, and they wept. Why? Because it was Christmas. Christmas. Mommy, why are they killing the children? I'm not sure, but I've been told that it's Christmas, and they want to stop it. Question, why did Herod hate Christmas? It could be he was mistaken. Jesus did not come to take his gold throne or purple robes, but his heart Perhaps he did know that Jesus wanted his heart. But Herod and his world could not live the way they had if Christmas grew. So he let the dark side take over and fought Christmas. He was afraid. The great King Herod, powerful, cunning, rich, was afraid. He instinctively knew what mankind knows. That the baby was more than a savior. He was the coming king to rule the hearts and the wills of mankind. He was born to rule. And the tragedy is that no one needed Jesus more than Herod. Herod was in deep trouble with his family. He was being consumed with fear and guilt for killing his wife and his sons. Emotionally, he was on the edge of a a breakdown. His hatred and fear Of his enemies eating him alive. He needed the lordship of Jesus. But his fear. His power. His pride blinded him. And he tried to kill Jesus. But he was the great loser. Let's not be too hard on Herod. We need to remember that we too are often afraid of the real Christmas. We too have believed the lie that Jesus comes to dominate. We often live by better safe than sorry. Which of us does not battle with the fear of Christmas? The Christmas that says, Every knee shall bow, not my will but thine be done. It is hard to say, Jesus be Lord of all the kingdoms of my heart and life. It's especially hard to submit. Herod's battle is often ours. Christmas is the center of the cosmic battle of life. To believe or not believe God, to bow or resist to run to or to run away from. Above all, it is the battle of trust and not let fear dominate our thinking. Herod was afraid. He misread God's intentions and he panicked and he fought when he should have followed. He made war when he should have worshipped. He feared when he should have made Christ his friend. The fact is, that you cannot understand or live in the real Christmas until you understand and deal with the spiritual warfare of Christmas. Amidst the sound of angels singing, there is also the sound of quiet weeping. There is the loving family gathered around the manger, but there is also the hateful king wanting to tear it apart. This Christmas was good news, and there was danger. So how do you win the battle for Christmas? Christmas is God's call for participation. God searched until he found the right person and the right couple to be partners for Christmas. In young Mary and Joseph, he found a couple who dared to share the challenge of bringing Christmas to the world. The fact is, that there is only Christmas with all his victory, hope, love, and blessing when there are those who are willing to pay the price. Anyone who knows Christmas knows that it is expensive and hard. Anyone who joins a Christmas battle for love and joy knows that it costs you and it can bring you to the point of weariness and tears. It was not easy for Mary and Joseph Their marriage plans were changed. Their friends were changed. They rode to Bethlehem. That was hard and long. And the local hotel was closed. And they had to give birth to God in a cave with sheep and cattle. Then to flee to Egypt and raise your children there, all because God wanted partners for Christmas. But you can't have Christmas. Christmas without partners we cannot save anyone we are not christmas only one can save the angels told us so unto you is born this day a savior which is christ the lord and we cannot change the world without him All our effort and giving and all our tears and all of our songs will not change the world without the living Christ among us. But we can carry Christmas. We can join God in this Christmas battle. Listen, those who follow him have his presence. And you will not go alone. When you go with God and follow God, you are guaranteed his presence. But it is a huge mistake, assuming that the anointing and the presence of God can be fully manifested just by being called a Christian. But I have found that the magnificent presence of God and the awareness of angels singing and the joy of salvation belongs to those who dare to move out in the passion and love of Christ. That does not mean that God does not love us when we are less than devoted or diligent for him. He is not a God who abandons us or strangles us because we are not what he fully wants us to be. No one is totally there yet. But there is a presence and a power that belongs to the devoted, the partners of God, that brings joy in the midst of the tears. In conclusion... Listen, Christmas means that God always wins in the end. And those who follow him will win and rule and reign with him. Christmas is God's promise of ultimate victory. Christmas is God's promise and provision of genuine victory to those who receive, conceive, and believe the promise. If Christmas is also spiritual warfare, battles, and tears, then it is ultimately deliverance and victory. Jesus did not just come to love us or to even save us, but to deliver us, to restore us to the Father's presence and plan. To be saved means all of that. For we are free and we are safe in him, and he puts us together by his power and his love. But remember, Satan has brought bondages to this world. He makes sure this time of year that we know our bondages and failures. But Christ has come, and there is victory and freedom in his power and name. Remember, he sets the captives free, free from fears, depression, loneliness, and mistrust, free from self-focus, and it's choking our spiritual lives. Christmas is a time of warfare as is life. But Jesus is Lord, the captain of our souls. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And where he is, there is victory and freedom for the world and for you and me. Amen. Service is over. And as you leave, I pray, may you receive the real gift of Christmas. Not just forgiveness, but God's presence and victory. And this gift of Christmas will see you through this new year and beyond. So let's close with a prayer, a New Year's prayer. And so, dear Lord, let us live each day in the most loving ways the God-conscious way. Let us serve all who are in need. Amen. may our year be filled with peace, spiritual prosperity, and love. May God's blessings shower upon us and bestow upon each of us a bright, healthy, and peaceful new year from Pastor Bob and myself. Amen.